So we're at 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to pick up in verse 7. And we see here, as we mentioned last week, if you had some last words that you wanted to share with someone, as you're closing up a letter or a, an email, whatever it would be, a conversation, and you weren't going to speak with them until a time now ahead, you're going to leave them with such important words. You see, what he does here, Paul, is he tells the church in Corinth, the same thing that me and you need to hear today. It wasn't only for that time in Corinth that we needed this message, but it's for our time today that we need this message. And you know what the message is in our time? You know what the message is that we need to hear about? Is what it means to be a mission-minded servant. A mission-minded servant. What it means to have a heart, not only for the local church here, but for a worldwide fellowship. You know what that means? Is that the church is beyond just the four walls of this church. And because there is a worldwide fellowship of believers, there's also a worldwide responsibility that the church should love and care for one another. Now he gives us six major points as to what the mission-minded servant looks like, what they're about, what they're thinking about, what is the mission-minded servant look like. See, the last week we went over the first three, and today we'll end by closing with the last three when it comes to the mission-minded servant leading up to communion. But the first one that he says is that the mission-minded servant is always giving to the Lord's work. If you have a mission-minded now a person or a servant, a man or a woman, they're always giving to the Lord's work. We learn through chapter 16 that they're not giving out of pressure. They're not giving uh, out of just pretense, but they're giving out of praise. They're giving out of, out of prayer. They're giving out of privilege because they want to become a part of what's taking place in the house of God. The mission-minded servant, number one, is always giving to the Lord's work. Number two, the mission-minded servant is always planning for the future. Now, the mission-minded servant is not content with current accomplishments, but they're a visionary person that is always thinking about how can we reach more people. It's a visionary thinking about the future, always planning ahead. Number three, the mission-minded servant is always flexible in the will of God. Are you flexible today in the will of God? Someone once said, if you want to be happy, then remain flexible. Because if you're flexible in the will of God, you'll be content where He wants you and where He has you. Number one, He's always giving to the Lord's work. Number two, He's always planning for the future. Number three, He's always flexible in the will of God. And let's pick up there in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7, when we learn how is it that Paul is flexible in the will of God. We have to learn how to be flexible today in the will of God. How is it that we want to be flexible? Lord, yes, we're making these plans, but we're giving these plans over to you and we're flexible. If you want to move us in one direction, move us that direction. If you want us to move us in this direction, Lord, then we'll go that way as well. Because we're, what's most important to us is being in your will. How many times have you put a plan together, but maybe it didn't go out the way you wanted to? It didn't turn out that way. But see, when we are putting our planner, our agenda, our heart, our desires before the Lord, and we're saying, Lord, if you want to move them, we'll submit to you what you want. We're open to your will. God will use your life. It is when you say, Lord, we don't want you to move this or change this, that God will not use that type of mentality or attitude. But 1 Corinthians 16, 7 says this, for I do not wish to see you now on the way 
but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. He's talking to the church in Corinthians or to the church in Corinth now. Well, he's in Ephesus and he's saying, I don't want to just pass by. I want to spend time with you. I want to go and I want to stay there. That's my desire. But think about what he does with that desire or with that hope that he talks about in verse 7. You might have a hope, you might have a desire, but look what he says with that hope and with that desire, what he does with it. Verse 7 says, if the Lord permits. Yes, he's planning for the future, but as the Lord permits. One of the most spiritual things that me and you can do as men and women of God is do things God's way. Do things God's way. Maybe God's calling you to move a certain direction and take a step of faith, right? Never being now content with the current accomplishments. But as you take steps of faith, also learn to be flexible in the steps of faith that God is calling you to do. Because He's saying, if the Lord permits. I want to stay there. I have a desire. But I'm going to put that desire in God's hands for God's timing, right? Because flexibility means that I want to be not necessarily only where I desire, but where God wants me to be. Do you remember what James told the church? See, James told the church, the apostle, the brother of the Lord, he told the church this. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor. What appears for a little time and vanishes away instead. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. And Paul here as the mission-minded servant, as he's planning for the future, he's saying if the Lord wills because he's flexible in the will of God. You see, it's not your way or the highway. It's you being faithful. I'll tell you one like Paul. And also you being flexible. Flexible saying, Lord, I'm faithful to what you call me to do. And I'm open for you to do it the way you want to do it. Sometimes you say, Lord, I know you've called me to do this, but I want to do it my way. No, Lord, I'm open to do what you've called me to do, but I want to do it your way. I want to remain flexible because if you're flexible, guess what? You'll also become usable. And that's why the mission-minded servant is usable because he remains flexible in the will of God. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in what? The Lord. Sometimes it's tough to be flexible because you want to be in control. And the toughest things about being flexible is that you don't know what's going to happen. You, 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 there's an uncertainty. There's a doubt. There's a fear. But the Bible tells us, put your faith, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. The way to being flexible is a way to trust God. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. I trust you. I trust your plan because your plan is better than my plan. If we can today walk away with that mentality of knowing, God, your plan is better than my plan, then you'll see that God's going to start to work in your life, right? Because his plan is better than your plan. Now, verse 8, he says this, but I will carry in Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, I know that God has called me. I'm going to stay flexible. But also I will tarry. If you have your Bible and you're taking notes, I encourage you to circle that if the Lord permits in verse 7. But then also in verse 8 where it says, but I will tarry. I will tarry. You know what that means? I will tarry. He's saying I will wait. I will wait. You see today in today's world, in today's time, one of the things that we don't like to do 
is wait. <laughs> Lord, I know that you're opening a door for me, but I don't want to wait. Lord, I know that you have a plan for, your life, for my life. I know that your plan is better than mine. Lord, I know exactly that you want to bless my obedience, that you want to bless my faithfulness, that you will bless the flexibility as long as I stay in your will, but I do not want to wait. See, here what Paul does as a mission-minded servant, part of being flexible is learning to wait on God. And that's something that we all must learn. Part of being flexible is learning to wait on God. A lot of times we want to be in God's will, but we want to rush the process. We want to get there already. We want the journey to speed up. We want, Lord, you promised that for my life. I don't want to wait. And we start to settle for second best instead of choosing God's best for your life. See, what is it that you want in your life? Do you want God's best? Do you want God's will? Or do you want your plan in your ways? He's saying, I'm going to wait in Ephesus here. I'm waiting because good things come to those who wait. He said, I'm going to wait for the Feast of Pentecost in Ephesus because verse 9 tells us that there is a great and effective door opened up for Paul. You see, one of the times that you know that God's opening up a door for your life and for our lives, He opens up the door and He says, I want you to remain flexible now in this pathway that I'm leading you. And as you're remaining flexible, I'm, I want you to learn what it means to wait. Because your flexibility also means that you have to learn to wait. Now verse 9 he says, For a great and effective door has opened up to me. Now when we read that verse, that's the verse that we highlight in our Bibles. Thank you Jesus. A great and effective door is opening up for me at work or at home or that thing that I was praying for. Finally Lord, that door is opening up. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. A great door. It's not a small door. It's a great door. And it's not just any kind of door. It's a very effective door. But look at what he says right after this. Why is he waiting? Because there's a great door. There's an effective door. But also in that door that God is opening, there are many adversaries. You see, not only is the servant of the Lord, as we've read, is always flexible in the will of God, but also we learn today that the servant, the mission-minded servant of God is always tenacious or never gives up. In the face of opposition. I want to tell you that today. The servant of God never gives up in the face of opposition. Not only are we flexible. We learn to stand our ground. And not giving up. Not being now uh, quitting in what God's called us to do. Not giving in. In the face of opposition. Now here Paul tells us there's a great door. There's an effective door. But there's also adversaries. You see Paul understood. And he knew. That opposition often accompanies opportunities. And I want you to remember that today, please. That opposition oftentimes accompanies opportunity. We sometimes misinterpret open doors. We think that it's an open door and there's no opposition and that's of God. No, oftentimes the doors that God opens, there are many adversaries involved. There's a lot of spiritual warfare involved. You know, there's times where we are as a church are ready to take a step of faith and we see a lot of opposition taking place and we know this is of God <laughs> because there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of opposition and because of that, we know there's spiritual warfare involved and this is exactly what God has called us to do. It's been said before, if you have no opposition in the place that you serve, then you're serving in the wrong place. <laughs> if you have no opposition in the place that you're serving, then you're serving in the wrong place. Why? Because opposition follows opportunity. 
And here Paul is saying, there's a great door, there's an effective door. I'm going to wait because there's a lot of adversaries. I'm going to wait for God's time before I go. We have to learn to wait for God's time before we go. Even when there's adversaries. Now we learned that Paul didn't say there's many adversaries, so I better quit. So I better run. So I better hide. So I better renounce the calling. He said there's a lot of adversaries, so I'm going to wait. Because he's trusting in God. And when God opens that great and effective door in your life, no man can shut that effective door that God has opened. Do you remember when the Lord was talking to the Apostle John to the church now? Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. They were known to be a faithful church. To the faithful church that God opens up. So now the flexible in 1 Corinthians and the faithful now. We see two open doors opening. But what does God promise to that church in Philadelphia? The faithful church. Revelation 3, it says, I know your works. I, see, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, when God opens doors in your life, though there are adversaries, though sometimes you have to wait for His timing, no matter what man says, when God opens a door, no man can shut that door. And it's amazing because you always know when God's behind it because it's regardless of what people say, what man dictates, what, what, what people want to, to come and try to disrupt the will of God. When God opens a door, no man can shut it. And that's why we can stay faithful and that's why we can stay flexible in the will of God because we know that His plans are sure. Do you see what's happening here? Paul, his entire life, he was just saying, Lord, I trust you. And if you want this to happen, you're going to make it happen regardless of what people say. Whether I have the funds or I don't have the funds, whether the resources are there or they're not, whether I can, I can formulate a plan or I cannot, I know that you're in control. Do you know what happens when you're flexible and you're faithful in God's will? He becomes the control, not you. The problem is that we're scared to give God the control of our lives. Because we want to be in control. We want to make the decisions. We want to be the ones that are saying, you know what? I don't want to go that direction, so I'll choose this one. Paul was fully flexible and faithful in the will of God. And that's why he's saying, if the Lord permits, that's why he's saying, I will wait. Because he knows those opportunities and those doors are there because God put them there. But now we see in verse 10 and 11 that the mission-minded servant is always presently serving. Not only is he tenacious through opposition, but he's always presently serving. If you have now a mind now to reach other people, I'll tell you, you will be the first to sign up to serve the Lord. Because you want to get involved. Because you want to be a part of that mission. You want to be a part of the vision. You want to put your hands in and become faithful in the will of God in the local church. The mission-minded servant is always presently serving. And now he talks about his young, now, disciple Timothy. And if Timothy comes to see here that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I do also. Now he's writing to them. He's saying, you know what, Timothy is going to come your way. And when he comes your way, see that he is with, with you without fear. You know why he tells them that? Because they were intimidating Timothy because he was a young pastor. They were saying, you guys are much older than Timothy. And every time Timothy comes around, although he's my son in the faith, I want him to be serving without fear, without intimidation. 
He, that he serves with peace, presently serving God, the way God's called him to serve. And he's saying, do not let him serve with fear. Let him serve without fear and receive Timothy. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. You see, what is he trying to implement here? He's saying, I want you to respect young Timothy for the authority in the ministry that God's called him to do. He's doing the work just like I am. The New Living Translation says this, when Timothy comes... Don't intimidate him. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Not only is the mission-minded servant always presently serving, but he's always working together. Do you see how the mission-minded servant becomes a team player at the local church in the house of God with the other believers? Just don't, don't let them serve with intimidation or with fear. In fact, welcome young Timothy. And as they're being raised up in the church, open up that opportunity. Give them that space to grow and to learn. He's becoming that team player so that others can serve as well. Therefore, let no one despise him. Don't look down upon him just because he's young, church. You see what he's doing? He's protecting now Timothy because he wants to see him grow in the calling that God's called him to. And he's being that team player for Timothy. Don't treat him with contempt. Don't look down upon him. In fact, he says this, send him on his journey in peace. So don't treat him and let him serve, being despised. Let him serve without fear, and also send him on your journey with peace, that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. You see what Paul's heart is for young Timothy here? Is that he would grow up in the way of God, but that the church would support the growth of one another. See, when we come together, even when we fellowship after we're coming and we're serving, we're here to support the growth of one another. Maybe you have a gift, and others also have that gift. You are here to support the growth of one another. The mission-minded servant is always a team player, thinking about the opportunity and the growth of other believers as well. You know why he's saying this for Timothy? Because Timothy was young, and Timothy was being despised by the church because he was young. Not only did he suffer from lack of confidence, but also from lack of respect. You see, Timothy was told by Paul... Later on in the epistles, when Paul would write to him, he says, No one despise you because of your youth, but be an example to all the believers in word, in faith, in conduct, in purity. Be an example. Do not be intimidated because you're young. And I'll tell you right here, since we have the youth today here, no matter how young you are, and for all of us else, no matter how old we are, God can use our lives. Just imagine that. It doesn't matter. Let no one despise your age. But use that as a way or as a tool to be able to be used by God. Now, verse 12, it says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you. Now concerning Apollos that we met back in Acts, I strongly urge, I, I told him that he should come. Now think about what Apollos did though here. I strongly urge him to come to you. Well, with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time, however he will come when he has a convenient time. It's important to also pay attention to verse 12. Because Paul wanted Apollos to come. And Paul said, you know what, I, I'm, I want to send you Apollos to the church. But what was Apollos' attitude when it came to coming? He said, I strongly urge him, I told him that he should come. But Apollos here in verse 12 says and shows that he was unwilling to come at this time. But when would he come at a more opportune time or a more convenient time to come to serve? 
a more convenient time to come to give His time, a more convenient time to come and, and, and to be a part of the fellowship of believers. Now I'll tell you this, we can appreciate Apollos, but we also know how many times that we miss out opportunities and where God wants to use us because we're looking for a convenient time to serve Him. How many times have you got an opportunity to come serve, but you're saying right now is not a good time. Give me another, a better, more convenient time so I can serve God, so that I can give to God, so that I can make a commitment to serve the Lord. And we start to look at a convenient time and then the, all this time passes by and we're not using our lives for the Lord. I pray that today you would choose commitment. Today choose commitment over convenience. Because in the world that we live in today, don't we always want convenience? We get so upset that we have to drive through a line to get our food given to us. If it's, if it's given to us in a, in a time span that we did not want or expect, we start to yell and complain and say all these things because it's, it's not no longer convenient, right? We want to stay in our cars, we want everything given to our hands. And, and, and what, what, what's convenient for me? What's, what's, what's more accessible to what I want or what I have? What fits my schedule? You see, Paul here is talking to the church. And he says, you know what, Apollos, I urged him to come. But he said he was looking for more of a convenient time to come. You see, let us not rob ourselves as a church. Let us not rob ourselves as a church because we're looking for convenience. You will never reach or serve people if you're thinking about convenience instead of commitment. God has called us to commitment, not to convenience. Right? And we see here now in verse 13 as we go to the final exhortation. When it says now concerning our brother, uh, verse uh, 13, concerning our brother, Apollos strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when it's, he has a more convenient time. Verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Now these are his final exhortation. He says, I want you to watch. The word watch means I want you to anticipate future events. I want you to be looking forward to this now. I want you to be vigilant. I want you to be alert. I want you to really watch now for what? For the coming of Jesus. I want you to watch because the enemy is coming like a, a roaring lion, the Bible tells us, seeking who he's going to devour. That's why I want you to watch. I want you to be sober. I want you to be vigilant. Be careful. He gives them a warning. And today, all of us, we need this warning too, to be watchful. Are you watchful? Are you watchful today? Or are you living a lifestyle maybe becoming careless? See, he didn't want them to become careless now because he was ending his letter. He wanted them to, to remain watchful and anticipate now the future event that was happening. And he uses these words in verse 13, like speaking to soldiers in the Roman military office. And he says, now I want you to watch. Watch, what does it mean? It means to really be on guard. Number one, watch, be on guard. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, be on guard. Because your adversary, because you have an enemy, the devil, he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be on guard, church. Do you see our world around us today, how it looks? When you read and, and hear about the different attacks and, and the shootings and the things that are taking place in today's world, shouldn't we not be on watch as a church? The church should be on 24-7 watch because of the times that we're living in. 
And he tells them right now, as, as a now commander telling the platoon of Roman soldiers, be on guard, be on watch. When you're on watch, you can't fall asleep. When you're on watch, you're responsible for that time. When you're on watch, they're counting on you to protect the rest of the people. See, you're on watch for your family, for your home today. What does the Bible also tells us through Paul, where he says on watch for what? How can you become on watch? How can you be on guard? Well, Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You cannot be on guard if you don't have the armor of God. You know how you get the armor of God? By reading the Word of God. By staying in close fellowship with the church. By being in prayer. That's how you put on the full armor of God. There is no way that you're going to overcome spiritual warfare in your life if you're not daily putting on the armor of God. There's no way that you can say you're on watch without the proper, now, attire. What is that attire? It's the armor of God. And that's only found in prayer, in the Word of God, through the fellowship of the group of believers, right? But he doesn't only say watch, he also says something else. He says, I want you to stand fast in the faith. I want you to stand your ground in, when it comes to the things of the faith. Why is it important for us to stand our ground or stand fast in the faith? Because today's world, there's so many false teachings taking place. In today's time, now you see the, that the world is throwing morality out of the door now. We're throwing now morals and, and what it was one day of what we saw to be honorable. Now that no longer is honorable and sin now is reigning in our culture. That is what's dominating this world now, sin. And that's why he says, stand fast in the faith. Let the faith, the belief of what you've been taught be applied in your life. The principles. Is that what we live by? Are we standing fast in our faith? Standing fast when it comes to being in that prayer time, in that fellowship time, in the teaching time. Standing fast, standing your ground when it comes to biblical principles. You know what's sad when it comes to standing fast in the faith is that sometimes as a church, we will come and hear the Word of God. But when we leave, we stand for something completely opposite of the Word of God. The Word of God should be that which dominates the principles and the values that you stand up for. And that's why he says stand fast in the faith, in the doctrine, in the teaching. But what else does he tell them in verse 13? He says stand fast in the faith, be brave, and lastly, be strong, be courageous. You're going to need to be courageous if you're called also to be on guard. You're going to need to be courageous if you're also called to stand for truth and righteousness. The world today is not standing for truth and righteousness, but you need the courage to obey. We need to start praying, Lord, give me the courage to stand for truth. When everyone else is standing for sin, Lord, give me the courage at work to stand for truth. When everyone else is standing for something, my family members are standing for something else that you would know about in your situation, that you would say, I'm still brave, I'm still strong, I'm still bold, I'm still filled with courage now to be able to stand for things of the faith. Let me be strong enough to be able to say no to sin and yes to God. Do we not need these three commands as God's army? If we're in the Lord's army, we are commanded now. Do you understand that you have received three commands in one verse? You have received three commands in one verse. The first command was here, as we've learned, was to be on guard. Watch. That's your number one command today. 
Your number two command in the word of God is to stand fast in the faith, to stand for righteousness. And your number three command and ours as we read the Bible here is to be strong and be now mature and to be courageous in these things that we're learning. In a different translation, if we know exactly what Paul is talking about, he's almost referring even to uh, the man in, in such a masculine way. And he, when he says, be brave, be strong, you know what he's saying here? He's saying, act like a man. <laughs> and he's looking at the man, he said, I want you guys to act like men. Why? Because we need to. Because God's called us, both men and women, to be strong and to be courageous. Isn't this an amazing encouragement that you receive today to be strong, courageous, to be on guard, to stand fast in the faith, and to be strong about it? In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord encouraged Joshua. He said, have I not commanded you to be strong and good courage? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God's calling us to be strong in what? In the things that mean biblical principles and values. God's called us to be strong about being on guard for our families and for our marriages and when it comes to guarding the truth in the Word of God. And God's saying, I want you to be strong about this, but verse 14, let all you do be done with love. There's a balance. There's a balance to this. Not only do I want you to be on guard, not only do I want you to be strong in the things that stand for truth and righteousness, not only do I want you to be courageous and stand in the gap, but I want you to be, do it completely and you're called to do it with love. You know why he tells us this? Because sometimes when we want to be brave and courageous and, and stand our guard, we miss the love. And that's not what God's called us to do. He said, I want you to do it, but I want you to do it with love. They're called to do these things in, in such a meek, in such a humble spirit of love. Just because you're courageous doesn't mean you can't be courageous with the spirit of love. Just because you're brave doesn't mean you can't demonstrate humility. And sometimes we think courage means that I'm not humble. No, because you're courageous in the Lord, you can do it demonstrating a humility. Because you're stepping out in faith, you can still do it with humility. And that's exactly what he's telling them. I want you to be on watch, on guard. Verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas. Now, that is in the first fruits of Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now, you know this household, and their entire house have devoted themselves to serving God. That entire house over there, the ones that we saw first fruit come out of Achaia, they are the first ones that we saw fruit from. They have fully devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What does that mean to fully devote themselves? It says these people in this house were addicted. They were obsessed with serving God's people. And in that household, think about this, in that household, what they did is that they would keep their house open to serve and welcome everyone at all times to serve the church. You have to understand and remember that the church is met in homes at this time. And this group or this household, this family here opened up their house and they were just addicted to saying, we just want to serve people. They fully dedicated themselves to serving the people of God. The mission-minded servant is fully dedicated to serving the people of God. Do you see what's happening here? He's setting it up for us so that we'd understand this. But it says here in verse 16 now, that you also su submit to each and, and to everyone who works and labors with us. See, I want you to respect them, but also receive those and submit to them. Obey them. 
Because they're serving the Lord in ministry. They're laboring just like we are. Recognize that they're serving the Lord and support them. Don't come against them. The worst thing that can happen is that when someone's doing the work of the Lord and then you come against them. And you come and criticize. Or you come and try to condemn or say we should do it this way instead of that way. No, he's saying don't do that. Support them because they're serving God's people. They've opened up their house. They're addicted. They're obsessed with serving the people of God. The last thing that they need is for someone to be coming against them. Submit to them in the fear of God because of the labor of love because you become a mission-minded servant. You see, when you're a mission-minded servant, you don't want to come and criticize. You want to come and contribute. It's so sad because the people that, that criticize the most when it comes to the Lord's work are the people that do less for the Lord's work. We must be, be people that want to get our hands involved with the work of God. In verse 17 it says, And I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied. And he gives us now three names of these servants that came and he said, I'm so glad that they're coming because they supplied what was lacking on your behalf. It's always amazing to be able to see when servants step in the gap and say, you know, there's a need. And I know nobody else can meet the need right now, but they were supplying that need, these three servants. And they say, they're supplying the need of what was lacking on your part they supplied. Do you know that when God supplies He'll start to use different avenues in different ways. And sometimes He uses the most unexpected source to supply. Sometimes we think, Lord, we know that You're going to supply. And we know that this is the way You're going to supply. And God uses a complete different way of supplying, of meeting that need. Well, now He's recognizing these servants that are working behind the scenes. That when the church of Corinth couldn't give, these other servants gave. And He started to supply the needs that was needed for the ministry that was taking place in the ministry of Paul. But think about well, how Paul calls them or what he names them. For they refresh my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. You know when he talks about these three servants that gave, that supplied the need, that met the need, he says they refreshed me. They refreshed me. That word refresh means that they came and they gave me rest. They came and they lightened the load a little bit. That's what Paul is saying. I want to recognize these people. Because when they came to the church, they started to lighten the load and they gave me rest. Therefore, he says, acknowledge such men. Acknowledge these servants. Because they, they, they use now their gifts to raise up my arms. They gave me rest and they lightened the load. So acknowledge them. You know what he's saying? Be grateful for those men. I'll tell you, I'm so grateful for the men and the women of this church that serve. That raise up the arms of the leadership of this ministry. Because truly, we are refreshed by you. When you come and you lighten the load and you start to meet the needs and, and you give everyone else the rest because of the beautiful gifts that God has given you. And we ought to be thankful for the men and women that serve in the ministry. That's what he's telling them. Be thankful. Acknowledge these men. Be thankful for them because they've gone with me and they started to serve. Show, their, uh, show your appreciation because they're serving God's people. How much appreciation are you, serving for, are you showing for God's people that are serving? One of the one things that we don't want to do is be ungrateful for those that serve the Lord and serve in His house. We want to be, show that appreciation for our Christian workers that are serving in the house of God. And verse 19, he tells us then, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you, 
hardly in the Lord with the church that is in their house. You remember Priscilla and Aquila? That as we, Paul met them in the book of Acts. He says that Priscilla and Aquila are sending you now a greeting with the church that's in their house. You know that it doesn't matter the size of the church. Every church matters. Every church matters. It doesn't matter how big or small the church is. It's the body of Christ that's there. And he's saying here now, we, the churches of Asia and Priscilla and Aquila, they greet you in the Lord with such a heart for God or of God. And as they're greeting you, they're greeting you with now the church that is taking place in their house. It is believed that now culturally there was about 30 people that met in homes. And that was home or house fellowships and churches. And as they met in the church, you saw that the church started to grow and they would split up and then more churches were planted. And see, I remember when we started it in our home and how beautiful it was to have a church and a house. <laughs> and you almost don't think, you don't know if this is going to work because you're in a house. But I'll tell you, when you're in that season of meeting in a church and a home, you see people give their life to the Lord on a regular basis. And something special about becoming intimate with people in your house. You know what's so awesome when you invite someone over to your house and God's the center of the attention and you're saying, we can have church right here. Well, these churches that were meeting in home churches on a regular basis and in different parts of the world, I'll tell you, even today, as we're meeting in this place, they're meeting underground in a secret home, praying and reading their Bible. And they're asking for God to meet them there as they're gathering as a church. Let us never be ungrateful for what God has given us. And let us pray for all the home churches that are still taking place in today's time. Now he's saying, I want you to greet. They're sending you their greeting. But in verse 20, it says, All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, a lot of times we read this verse and the, the guys already get all happy. I'm going to greet that sister after service with a holy kiss. <laughs> but that's not what it means. You see, culturally, you know what he's talking about? He said, I want you to greet each other with a kiss. With a kiss, it means with love, with forgiveness, and with unity. A kiss would signify love, number one. A kiss would signify forgiveness. Number two, and a kiss would signify unity. Number three, I want you to greet one another after service, he's saying, with forgiveness, with love, and with unity. What would happen in the church if we thought we want to greet one another with forgiveness, with love, and with unity? Now he says in verse 21, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. He's saying this portion I've written with my own hand. When Paul was writing these letters, someone else would write for him. He would just dictate the words. But he's saying, with this salutation, what I'm about to say, I'm writing this with my very own hand. Why is he saying, why is he telling us this? Because he wants you to know that this is very personal to him. He wants to become personal with the people that he serves. He wants to become a part of their lives. He wants this to add this touch of intimacy to them. You know what the best time when you serve God's people is? When you become personal with the people of God. When you know that you're becoming part of their lives. When you want this intimate fellowship with people. That's what he was looking for. Intimate fellowship with people. That's the reason why we never encourage someone to come to church and just leave right after. Because you're missing out on the intimate fellowship that the church needs. Now Paul is saying, I'm writing this with my own hand. Because of the intimate fellowship that I desire with you. And he ends with this verse 22. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ... Let him be accursed. Oh Lord, come. <laughs> now this is a very strong verse in verse 22. But what he's saying here, he's saying, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, what does it mean to love the Lord? If anyone doesn't have love for God, 
that leads them to live a life in obedience to God, that person has decided themselves to be accursed. Now, do you know that if you're living a life without love for God, what does it say about you? Well, it says two things if you don't live with love for Jesus Christ. It says, number one, that you've rejected Christ. That you've rejected Christ. So the person that does not live with love for the Lord Jesus Christ is automatically saying, I'm rejecting Jesus. But also is saying, I'm rejecting the character of Christ in my life because I don't want to live with love for God. And that person here he's telling us is accursed. You know what accurses us or, gives, or curses us in our lives? Is the fact that we reject Jesus. We're already being cursed. The Bible tells us that without Jesus we're condemned. But only with Him are we now saved. And our sins are washed away. And we have the promise of eternal life. Now do you see that he's talking to the church. And he says you know those that do not love the Lord. Have rejected Him automatically. Those that don't live with love that now portrays or moves someone to be ready to obey God. And that person is accursed. I want to ask you today, are you living a life in obedience to God with love for the Lord? Because if you say you love God, it's going to also require your obedience. If you say you love God, it's going to require your submission. You cannot say that you love God, but you want to live your life the way you want to live it. You cannot say you love God, but you don't want to submit to God. You don't want to obey God. You want to live for God. No, when you say, I love God, you're also saying, I, I choose to surrender to God. I choose to surrender to His Son. And then He reminds us in this verse 22, Oh Lord, come. That's from the word of Maranatha that we know of. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. No, if the Lord is coming, should you not be ready for His return? Should you not be ready for His return? Even today, the way you find yourself, are you ready for the return of Christ? O oh Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. He starts his epistle with love and grace, and he ends it with love and grace. Because he wants you to know that, that it is the love and the grace of God that draws you now into a personal relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He ends and He tells us, the Lord is coming. And if you don't love Him, if you don't live in a way submitted to Him, you're accursed. But the grace and the love of God be upon you. Verse 24, my love be with you all, Christ Jesus, amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. We thank you because today we can learn about the mission-minded servant, Lord. And we ask God right now, Jesus, that our love for you would not mean simply words. That our love for you would not simply mean coming to church. That our love for you would mean more than that. It would mean submission. It would mean obedience. I pray right now for the church. Lord, your word says that Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Your word says it. We can believe it. We can trust it. That you are coming. But are we ready for your return?